0: So our reporter based in Spain, Karen Avila, has been outside of Spain for a little bit of a, a change of scenery, and she went to two destinations. we I going to talk about one of them tonight, which is uh, the Republic of Ireland, and she's just into explaining this to me off air. I'm learning about things that I didn't quite know about the Republic of Ireland, but she's met a fantastic character there, and uh, she's got an interview with... Uh, with this fellow. So I'm looking forward to hearing that. Karen, um, your decision to go to, to Ireland was, well, how, how would you explain it? It wasn't something you, s- you spent hours sweating over, was it?
1: Not at all. I would actually say it was uh, rather spontaneous, somewhat of a last-minute decision, um, as you mentioned, because I was heading north anyway uh, to get out of the Spanish heat, I decided to extend my stay and I sort of threw a dart at the map of Ireland and looked for something that was a a location that was cost effective. I found the village of Omeath and looked around that area, did a little bit of research and uh, it looked idyllic and uh, too good to be true. So I decided to give it a chance.
0: So you flew into what, Dublin or so? Where did you fly into?
1: I flew into Dublin and then I took two buses up to Omeath. It was rather Straightforward to get to
0: many hours of bus trip.
1: Not at all. It was actually a total of about two to two and a half hours. Okay.
0: That's all good. Tell the audience how you managed to find the interesting character that you've come up with over there.
1: So this is a really good story because I found with most of my adventures in Ireland and in this particular area and the Cooley Mountains and around the peninsula, I sort of surfed off of people's suggestions. So I just happened to be in the village of Carlingford at a tea shop where I was having a tea and scone and I started talking to the woman who runs the shop with her son and I can't remember exactly what we were talking about but she mentioned Seamus Murphy who was this local what gentleman a who had actually name. Yeah. fantastic name and so just by the name I was excited to meet this person yeah. and he was a, supposed to be a great storyteller and so she connected me with him and I was able to meet up with them.
0: Yeah, see that's exactly what we're about here on Travel Writers Radio we love these characters that are out there and you know they have Ability to uh, be raconteurs that I think really can engage an audience. So, what happened after you took this recommendation? Did Did you check him out with anyone else? I mean, you're pretty game doing what you're doing (laughs) in one way.
1: Yeah, I felt there's a lot of hospitality and warmth in Ireland. So I I really felt immediately very comfortable there and oh. very trusting of the people I was meeting. And, and everybody in these villages, everybody knows each other. So there's oh. also sort of that safety net. So I did mention him when I went to a pub in the village of Omeath down the road, I mentioned it to some of the uh, local patrons there that I was speaking with. And they also, you know, validated uh you know who he was That's and fantastic. i decided to i'm a little bit of a risk taker as well so i i was you know ready to meet him in, in in either case
0: how did you find the fellow what what were the what were the instructions was it like a treasure hunt to find him <laughs>
1: A little bit actually. So I was staying. so the village of Omeath, which is where I was staying, is very small. Just about six hundred people live there. But it's a pretty large area. There's communities surrounding it. And the uh house that I was staying in was about, I would say, I think roughly three kilometers from where Seamus lived. And so I just took out my Google Maps, put in his address, and just walked this beautiful Country road and uh, ended up at his uh, what's called Queerview Farmhouse.
0: So, just quick, quickly describe him to us. He's not a leprechaun. He's uh, he's a real character.
1: He is. He's definitely an experienced gentleman. I would say he's probably in his late 60s to early 70s. Yeah. Uh, he's been in. He's from a, another part of Ireland, but he has lived in in this area in the Cooley Mountains for several years. Um, he does have a, I would say, uh, a lot of Ireland, there is just sort of this mystical atmosphere based on all the folklore mm-hmm. and the scenery. And he does sort of have this presence as well. He has this beautiful Irish accent. Um, he has a lot of, I would say a lot of wisdom, but a lot of historical information as well. So so speaking with him was just a pleasure. And, and he had a very nice uh uh, warm and uh, uh, enchanting presence. Okay, well let's hear him. I'm here with Seamus Murphy at the Quareview Farmhouse. Seamus is a retired journalist, did some work in Scandinavia as well as Dublin. He's more recently known as the History Hillwalker here in the Cooley Mountains in the northeast corner of the Republic of Ireland. So thank you so much for having me here at Quareview, Seamus. Uh, if you could take a minute and just let us know uh, where you're from and how you got here and what inspired you to become the History Hillwalker.
2: Uh, I grew up about seven or eight kilometres from here, uh, on the other side of the Cooley Mountains, on the County Armagh side. So coming here was coming home. I bought this house almost 25 years ago, specifically because it's uh, in a corner of the Cooley Mountains and it's looking down upon Carlingford Loch.
1: Thank you. Um, We had talked earlier about some of the trails here, and I've done a little bit of hiking myself since I've been here the last week or so. What I've noticed here in this region is that there's a lot more than what meets the eye. Um, We were talking earlier about the Cadger's Pad. I know this is a a notable, remarkable trail for some of the historical aspects uh, in addition to the leisure aspects. So can you tell us a little bit more about uh, Cadger's Pad?
2: Well, I think I can claim to have re- resurrected the cadger's the pad. This was a route where the herring girls from O'Meath carried fish to market in Dundalk across the Cooley Mountains. The story was fairly well known when I was a child, but the fishing in the lock died out in the 1870s, so the notion of the path itself got a bit lost. But I found the route marked upon old maps from the 1850s, and we began taking walks up there 10, 15 years ago so we could follow in the footsteps of the Herring Girls. There are parts of the path that's tricky. What we've done since then is marked it with fence posts so that people can find the zigzags among the rocks and get over the ridge safely. And I'm very glad to say that the most recently published map of the Cooley Mountains actually includes the catcher's pad on it.
1: That's, uh, that's fantastic. It's, it's absolutely remarkable. Um, when we were talking earlier, you'd also mentioned uh, some of the details about what these women were, were carrying, but also the distance that they were going. Um, so can you tell us a little bit more about uh, some of those details that made these women notable?
2: As far as we know, this tradition went on for several centuries until uh, the, you know, the, until the harrig the stocks died out in Carlingford Loch. We think they carried two stone to three stone of fish uh, a piece that's, you know, maybe five, six, seven kilos wrapped in seaweed to keep it uh, fresh. They carried them in baskets that were roped to their backs And they had to walk an hour up onto the ridge, uh, an hour down the other side. They were probably walking for three hours before we think they sold their fish to fish merchants on the other uh, side of the mountain and walked back. Uh, uh, We know some of the places where they rested. We know our big flat rock where they used to play cards. and we, we think they may have had a bottle of illicit whiskey buried in the bank there for a little <laughs> sip. So we know, we know a little bit of their lives. These were usually young women, 15 to 25, uh, about that age, a few lads with them to, to keep them safe. Uh, but this, this story... Sparks the imagination of people. People love this walk because of the image. We even have a photograph of the very last of the characters, Annie Flynn, eighteen eighty nine.
1: I can see the appeal of uh, taking small flask or a bottle of whiskey out, especially in the winter time. Probably help keep yeah. them warm. Yes, and I think it's always it's always exciting to hear about women playing such a strong role in helping with the economy, but also with some of that more active active involvement with carrying goods across a train. And this trail goes not quite to Dundalk, but close by.
2: Well, we, we don't think there was any good reason why they would have walked into Dundalk. We think fish merchants would have met them uh, two miles out the road and probably bought their fish at a small discount compared to walking on into the, into the market. The, the route is very directly uh, east to west uh, of, across the mountains.
1: It might actually be a, a more interesting route. I've been I took the bus from Don to to here to Omith, and and not quite as interesting or as exciting as going over the over the mountains. So the other pathway that you had told me about that I find that's, that's interesting and also important to understand, especially from the historical context, but also because this is something that people who are coming to the area could also walk along and, and see uh, the beautiful countryside here, but also just understanding a little bit more about the history here, was the road to the Long Woman's Grave and how that was, how and why that was developed.
2: The road across the Long Woman's Grave to Glenmore was built 1847-48 as a government-funded relief work to provide employment for people affected by the potato blight in the Great Famine. We think that 2,000 people at least probably worked on that road uh, and it kept them alive. Uh, Before that, there simply was no road through that part of the mountains. We're very lucky now that we have a whole mountain range where it's almost impossible to get more than a mile from a public road.
1: That's great because it makes it a uh, a little less difficult to get lost. Even walking around the trails here from the last week or so, and the trails above Carlingford further south here, it's you could see that it's it's a little difficult to it's difficult to get lost.
2: I think it, it, it is, but there's a it, there's an important thing about hill walking in Ireland that people need to realize. Our mountains aren't very high. Our highest mountains not much over a thousand meters. The danger in Ireland doesn't come from the height of the mountains. It comes from the changeability of the weather. Okay. Uh, the It is possible to get all four seasons in the space of about two hours in some of our mountains. I've seen it happen. So uh, mist comes down very quickly, uh, and you do need to watch out for that and watch your weather forecasts.
1: That was actually one of the things I was going to ask, if because given in Ireland it rains frequently, which is part of why you get such green, lush, natural beauty, But how does that affect walkers? Like for organized walking groups, do they go rain or shine or are there limits to some of the walks?
2: Well, I remember when we were introducing people to hill walking here and uh, somebody asked, what do you do when it rains? And we said, well, you get wet. That's what happens. Um, (laughs) If you restricted yourself to good weather, you wouldn't do much hill walking. Okay, it's a bit boring if uh, you climb to the top of the mountain and you can't see anything. But people do it and people develop specific skills to do it safely. Uh, and it, it does require some special training for leaders.
1: The other uh, point of interest, for me personally, one of the things uh, I like to observe is when I'm walking around is just looking at the different flora and fauna. And here I've noticed just all beautiful heather, uh, those small flowers that are growing, uh, they grow around. I've noticed some wild blueberries in some parts, A lot of grass, a lot of open farmlands with livestock, of course, is really sort of the the key feature that I've seen in walking in some of the trails nearby. Uh, Is there anything notable about the flora or fauna uh, that is either unique to this area or unique to Ireland? Uh, Or anything you'd like to add on that?
2: I think, first of all, the the, the dominant agricultural mode here nowadays is sheep farming. It would have traditionally been more cattle farming than sheep, but sheep sheep predominate now. So sheep graze in a particular way, graze the grass down uh, very closely. Uh, This has led to bracken uh coming down t- taking over more and more of the mountainside when there were cattle here the bracken would have been more restricted bracken is uh, we don't regard it as a very useful plant for man or beast but the the heather is beautiful at in particularly it's absolutely spectacular towards the end of august when the whole mountain turns a sort of uh, uh, dark blue um and it, it can indeed it can indeed be lovely but uh, we we have lots of interesting little flowers we have one that grows in the uplands i simply love it's called tormental it's a little 4 leafed yellow flower which i hope to show you later and it gets its name from the fact that the romans made tea with it as a cure for toothache
1: Brilliant. um the you mentioned that it, it the livestock has moved more from cattle to sheep was there anything that created that shift
2: i th- I think that the the land is fairly marginal in quality here in the mountains. Um, cat, it it wouldn't be a great cattle rearing area, and there are better alternatives for more intensive cattle farming now uh, than was the case like two hundred years ago when when the cattle predominated in the in the mountains here. Uh, the, the The silage and haymaking have improved. A lot of the lowland cattle cattle farmer. But cattle is still absolutely dominant in the in the agricultural economy of Ireland. Sheep are still fairly marginal. They were only introduced, as we say, quite recently by the Normans.
1: The we are talking about or you'd mentioned that you're never more than a mile away from the road out here. Uh, we talked about other aspects of safety for people who want to come visit and walk through these trails. But one thing you mentioned that stood out for me was the issue of whether or not to bring dogs. So I, in the United States, everybody brings their dogs everywhere. Uh, in Spain, you know, I, I don't see as many dogs as I've seen back home, but people tend to bring their dogs walking to different trails. But I know here the rules are different.
2: The rules are different. First of all, the mountains of Cooley are private land. Uh, the, the mountains of Cooley are owned by the farmers, uh, held in, in commonage groups. And we have a deal with them. We can go where we like in the mountains. We can do what we like in the mountains. And there really is only one rule. No dogs on lead or off lead. It's very important to point out that dogs on a lead can come back to the same place to chase a sheep after you take them off the lead. And they can come back many miles, even if you bring them in a car. So leave the dogs at home. Leave the dogs at home. (laughs)
1: Um, Is there anything else that you, you know, we've talked a lot about the history here, um, uh, the natural beauty that you've literally been a trailblazer, so to speak, by starting these walking groups and, and leading down these historical trails in the in the mountains, where they can not only get exercise and take in the fresh air, but they can uh, learn quite a bit about the history, which I find in this area is is quite dense. Uh, there's quite a bit of history here. Is there anything else that you would recommend for visitors who are coming through to go for a hike or? Uh, any other uh, aspect of travel that might be appealing in this region?
2: Well, I think that, first of all, it's possible simply to land into the Cooley Mountains, park your car and go for a walk. Uh, as long as the mist isn't actually down, you'll be safe. You'll be welcome. You don't have to make elaborate preparations. Now, you know, don't go up in a pair of runners. Um, get a pair of boots. Uh, we would advise you and take a stick. Uh, and remember that from uh, although our mountains are very safe, just remember this one little fact: nobody ever gets hurt much going up a mountain. Eighty to ninety percent of accidents happen coming down.
1: Good advice. So the stick is for walking, not for warding off some nope. beast no, of sorts. No, it's
2: for taking the pressure off your knees. <laughs> because believe me, I, I, your knees will not last forever. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.
1: Well, thank you so much. Uh, One final question I I actually have. So when I travel, I tend to take public transportation. I find it's more interesting. Uh, You see a little bit more. Uh, But around here, what would you recommend for visitors? Are things mostly accessible by public transport, or would you suggest a car?
2: I would suggest a car. Uh, uh, Things are not accessible by public transport to any significant degree. Public transport doesn't really go anywhere near the mountains. Anyhow, public transport follows the coastal routes. Uh, and there are just not enough buses per day to make it very very useful uh, you you need a car to access the mountains easily
1: okay so bring four wheels leave the four legs at home That's That's right. Right. all right thank you so much Seamus thank you for having me here You're
0: welcome. Uh, now if someone wants to find Seamus Murphy what can they do to find him
1: so their uh, Queerview Farmhouse is where he currently lives with his wife, and they also have a couple of uh, modest rooms that they rent out. So if you're looking on Airbnb and you're looking to stay in the Cooley Mountains, you might come across uh, Seamus's website or his lodging, but they also have a website that has information as well as some beautiful imagery of the location.
0: Thank you so much for that. Uh, well done on, on this job, and uh, again, something unusual and different that we hope our listeners can relate to. I'm sure they can. This is the Travel Writer's Show on JAIR 88FM in Melbourne. And that's it from Travel Writer's Radio for this week. We look forward to joining you again at the same time next week Wednesdays at 5 o'clock on JAIR 88FM in Melbourne. Until then, this is Graeme Kemlow wishing you a good night and thanks for listening.
2: a song when you sing
1: it out loud there ain't no stopping or slowing down let's be wild and free
2: we are the wild we are the free and our fire burns eternally we'll travel far far as the eyes can see
1: we are the wild and free